Hello, and welcome to the Two Peers Podcast. I'm your host, Erica Doremo, and today we'll be discussing stress. So we'll explore stress from a personal and physiological standpoint, but also from an organizational standpoint. We'll discuss ways to recognize stress and ways to address it, both for yourself and for your team. Thanks for joining us for this next episode of Season 3 of the Two Peers Podcast. For the past 30 years, April has been recognized as Stress Awareness Month. It's a time in which we can raise awareness about the health impacts of stress and how it affects both ourselves and those around us. So I wanted to start this podcast out with a personal anecdote back from 2016. So at that time, I had just wrapped up a really high stress, high stakes job, working offshore, rotating internationally, kind of working on a boat. And I had just started a sabbatical. I had just started this company, Two Peers. I'd also just gotten married. Um, We just had like a little ceremony with friends and family up in Massachusetts, kind of signed the paperwork out out in a park with a town clerk, you know, nothing, nothing exorbitant. But I was also, you know, combining households at the time. Uh, Now that I wasn't working offshore, we decided to renovate my house Um, while we lived in my partner's house. And I also decided to apply for some grad schools to start my MBA and explore grad school programs. And meanwhile, I was in parallel organizing the big wedding celebration that we would be holding in Houston, where, you know, our friends would travel from around the country, and it would kind of be the big party. And so I was doing all this while self-managing ADHD and thinking to myself like, oh, this is the low stress part of my life. This is the part where I've left the high stress work environment behind. And now I can just focus on some personal things for a little bit. Then all of a sudden I started seeing these symptoms of what looked like an allergic reaction, almost like I had eaten something that I was allergic to. And we could not figure out the source. I, you know, I talked to doctors and We tried eliminating pretty much everything from my diet. Um, They put me on, you know, some oral steroids. And yet I was still seeing these like big red blotches that would just come out of nowhere. And it persisted. I tried, you know, antihistamines. I tried Benadryl, which is an antihistamine. But, you know, it makes you – these all have side effects. So the steroids can make you like a little – edgy or cranky. They can cause like increased appetite, decreased metabolism. The Benadryl makes you sleepy and groggy. Just a whole cocktail of things that someone who is about to have to get in a little white dress does not does not want to deal with. And I just felt increasingly helpless and frustrated. And there we like were had no answers. So it just happened to be that in those days leading up to the wedding, I, you know, offhandedly mentioned to my OBGYN during my annual appointment that I was having these like allergy symptoms and we couldn't figure out what it was. Um, 
you know, I'd like gone to hypoallergenic everything and I was essentially eating just like bowls of rice at that point. Um, and she laughed and was like, well, it's the stress, silly. <laughs> and I thought like, I'm not stressed. Um, there's no stress. Like what? I'm not even like doing anything. I'm, I'm, I'm not working offshore anymore. So this is like the low stress period. And she kind of like rattled off all of the things that I was doing, these major life changes that I was tackling all at once. And I realized like, oh, right, I am stressed. It's just a different type of stress. I was so just caught up in the sheer number of things I had to get done and just entirely focused on powering through that I, I really hadn't even considered the magnitude of what I was trying to accomplish. And it just didn't fit in my paradigm either of what I thought stress looked like. So instead of being in an environment where, you know, people could die if I made a mistake or, you know, we were always on edge and the hours were really long and there was sleep deprivation, it was a different type of stress, but a stress that I had gotten used to in a way. And now I told myself, you know, I'm just like, I'm arranging Airbnb reservations for family members and like, and travel plans and in catering reservations. And, and this is easier stuff, but it wasn't, it wasn't easier stuff. There were lots of interpersonal interactions going on. There was a lot to juggle. There were a lot of like disparate work streams happening with pretty high stakes. So yeah, I finally realized what the source of this reaction was. And it was my own body kind of saying like, time out, stop, that's enough. You're not going to acknowledge the stress unless we do something that's unavoidably (laughs) recognizable here. It was like putting up a warning flare to say like, cut it out. This isn't sustainable. Um, And it did it right before, you know, the, the big wedding event in an unavoidable way. So, so it was clear once it was clear what the source of the stress was, I, you know, or what the source of the, this reaction was, I was able to take measures to kind of intervene. And I was able to sort of delegate a lot of stuff and, and let go of some of the perfectionism around it and just sit my butt down and do some meditation, which really, really helped. And so in those photos from that day, I managed to get into that little cream-colored Diane von Furstenberg dress after all. And there's no big red blotches in any of the photos, but I still look back on that and think, you know, how unaware I was of my own stress levels. And whenever I start to feel stress kind of reaching those unsustainable levels in my life, I remember like there's there's a potential allergic reaction around the corner <laughs> that, that might kick in that I'll then have to deal with in parallel when my body just says, nope. So what's the point of this story? What's the learning that I want our listeners to take away? Well, there are a couple. One big piece of it is the connection between mind and body. They are in fact one and the same. So our brain's primary function is actually to maintain what's called allostasis, And you might not have heard that word before. So that's the process in which a state of internal physiological equilibrium is maintained by an organism in response to actual or perceived environmental and psychological stressors. So Lisa Feldman Barrett explains this in actually both of her books that I've read. Um, 
she might have more than two books, but the two that I've read are uh, How Emotions Are Made, which goes very much in depth around how our brains function and the connection between emotions and physiology. And then her other book, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain, which is a very engaging and easily approachable book. So I highly recommend it. So she explains that the brain's primary function is not actually thinking, even though that's what we normally think of when we think of the brain. The brain's primary function is to keep you alive. So all of the signals that are transmitted, all of the chemicals that are released, the physiological changes that we then interpret as emotions, you know, for example, my stomach feels queasy and my blood pressure has gone up and I'm starting to sweat. Therefore, this is stress. Those are the result of our brain trying to predict and prepare for whatever will keep us alive. And it does so by budgeting and then deploying the resources that we have. So the energy that we have from eating food um, or, you know, the, the water that we have available, the hormones that we have available. But sometimes the perceived threats that we're physically prepared to tackle in that state of elevated stress, that like acute stress, are not the actual deadly threats that we think they are. And instead, we end up with this chronic enduring stress, which ironically does not help keep us alive. In fact, it shortens our lifespans. So stress is tied to myriad health conditions that can negatively impact not just our quality of life, but also the length of our life. So in that episode from 2016, that I just discussed, I had a case of acute stress that was layered on top of chronic stress. And that manifested into a visible physical reaction. However, much of the impact to our bodies and health are just not so easily recognized. But that doesn't mean they're not occurring and enduring. So according to the APA or the the American Psychological Association, Chronic stress can affect both our physical and psychological well-being by causing a variety of problems, including anxiety, insomnia, muscle pain, high blood pressure, and a weakened immune system, which, you know, during a pandemic is certainly not what we want. So chronic stress we know is tied to heart disease. And even those that do not have heart disease can suffer a heart attack due to an acute bout of stress. So as we approached April this year, and I was thinking about all these amplifying stressors at play, layering on top of each other, um, you know, the, the incredible amount of stress that most people are managing just day to day already. Plus, we had a war kicking off in Europe, we had these terrible stories of pain and destruction, and, you know, talk of nuclear war at play. Um, COVID cases going up and down, you know, surging, but certainly regulations are changing with mask mandates and and people are returning to the office and managing that in a new, uh, like a new world of hybrid work or, or fully returned to work. And oh, April is tax season. So, you know, that annual low stress time for everyone where they're getting all their stuff done. And, you know, maybe you got your taxes done in January, but 
I don't know how many people were battling up to the last minute to get taxes done in April. So I'm sure it's just a coincidence that April was chosen as stress awareness month, but I certainly saw lots of seasonal stress Um, and the days are getting longer, which everyone tends to think of as a good thing. And I do think it's a good thing. I think, you know, seasonal affective disorder tends to hit people in the winter when the days are short, we have a lack of sunlight, a lack of vitamin D. But as those days get longer and our energy increases, sometimes that can lead to higher stress. It can actually lead to increased irritability for some folks and um, and longer days and less sleep. So, so that light change, you know, in the positive direction, we should also be keeping an eye on. So what can we do? Um, I think the we certainly can't change individual individually, we can't change outcomes of international diplomacy or stop a global pandemic. But one of the most important things we can do is to recognize the stress itself. So that was the other key element from my story from 2016 was this ability to recognize our own kind of tells or identify our own signals from ourselves or our bodies that we are under uh, huge amounts of stress. So we all have different ways that stress will manifest. And it could be, you know, like a behavior like biting your nails or eating sugary foods, or it could be exhibited through poor sleep. Maybe, you know, when you're experiencing high stress, you end up doom scrolling on social media for, you know, extended periods of time. So we can learn a lot about our current state by just stopping to take a quick inventory of our behaviors, of, you know, our rhythms and the sensations and experiences that we're having within our bodies. That's something that we call interoception. So a key to this activity of like taking that inventory is, you know, at least to the best of your ability, trying to leave behind the stories about how stressed you should be right now. So just like my in my story where I felt like I should not be stressed right now because I'm not doing the normal things that I would think would stress me out. These are these are fun things to be doing. You know, picking out tile for the kitchen renovation should be a fun activity. I had my own biases, biases and stories around what stress should look like, and that got in the way of me being able to recognize what was happening with myself. Um, and, you know, even more recently, a few weeks ago, I realized, you know, that I was crying intermittently from things that normally wouldn't cause such a reaction. And that's pretty unusual for me. And it dawned on me that I was managing a massive amount of stress, you know, coming up on the end of one queue, lots of due dates and deadlines and a lot of different responsibilities in different parts of my life that were all just kind of landing at the same time. And in a moment, I remember thinking, but I don't have anything to be stressed about. And just saying the words out loud, like, I I think I've reached my full capacity and I'm approaching burnout was hugely impactful for me. So being able to, you know, stop, take an inventory and just recognize what is versus what should be can be really helpful in at least understanding where we're at on that scale of, of stress. And when we've moved from sort of peak operating for intermittent stress into the enduring chronic stress that is now reducing our reducing our quality of life and reducing 
our quality of work and having negative impacts. So while, you know, coming to that realization is not a cure in and of itself, it is the key to be able to make a change. So that's the key empowering information to be able to then make changes in your life and not just continue with the status quo. So you can start to monitor for when those sort of, I'll call it a tell, um, those tells arise. Even just, you know, when your pace quickens or you can feel your blood pressure increase. And I mentioned interoception. So that's when when we are aware of the feelings within our body. And um, a lot of times yoga practitioners will discuss, you know, interoception, but it's being able to understand the small changes in your own physiology that normally you're not even thinking about. And once you can pick up on that, then you can make those those adjustments. And and adjustments can take a wide range of forms. So it might be physical. You know, you might notice that you're feeling elevated stress and you want to go get some fresh air, go take a walk, maybe play fetch with your puppy. That's a great stress reliever. Um, or, you know, play with your cat. Pets are huge stress relievers um, when they're not stress inducers at three o'clock in the morning. Um, but you can also make environmental changes. So you can increase how much full spectrum light that you have in your workspace. You can put your noise canceling headphones in and add some uplifting music if you work better with music. Um, music and rhythm can be huge stress reducers. You know, maybe dancing is the way that you can reduce stress. It can also be psychological. We can reframe our situations and and maybe understand the true likelihood of negative outcomes. So that threat that we're perceiving that's causing that, you know, fight or flight mechanism to kick in. What's the real likelihood that something bad will happen? And what does that really look like? Um, and that can that can take some of the weight out of it. Or perhaps, you know, we stop trying to control an outcome that isn't ours to control. So that, you know, there's mechanisms in the reframing that we can use. And that's something that, you know, we do a lot in coaching is we can reframe things and understand what the the true root source of the stressor is, and then how we want to understand it going forward. But we can also make some big changes. You know, if chronic stress is something that has been a battle for months or years, then it could be that you can say no to big projects, you know, no new projects, I'm already at capacity or no to people. Um, And surrounding yourself with people who understand that and are okay with that can can really improve our quality of life. And sometimes it's at a point where we understand that it's time to leave a job or a relationship that's no longer serving us and is the source of our chronic stress. And I recognize that's not always possible. And and that requires resources, privilege, et cetera. But a first step is even recognizing where the source of our chronic stress is coming from and what the impact is to our longer term lifespan and quality of life. So another thing to keep in mind as we look at how we how we react and respond to stress is that our stress patterns can really be shaped by our past experiences, especially when those include trauma. So when in their book, What Happened to You, Dr. Bruce Perry and, and Oprah Winfrey do a great job of exploring stress patterns and stress response. 
Um, I listened to that book on Audible and I thought it was wonderful to hear the discussion back and forth. Um, they provide a PDF that has, you know, diagrams to, to walk through it. But I also think like the paperback could be another great resource. So they, they discuss how individuals who have experienced unpredictable, extreme and or prolonged stress, particularly in their developmental years, may also experience sensitized stress responses. So that means that the fight, flight or freeze reaction is just triggered more quickly. So if we think of like a curve, it looks more like a logarithmic curve that rises fast and then plateaus versus a linear curve that's like a straight line in a, you know, in a upward direction. So, so this type of response, you know, at one point was the body's way of keeping that individual safe in the face of unpredictable danger, but it's not so easily turned off when it starts kicking in prematurely or causes a stress response that's no longer appropriate or helpful for us. So we see similar impacts with PTSD and um, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk actually explores this extensively in his book, The Body Keeps the Score. And I mention this because it can be really helpful to work with a trained certified therapist to address any past trauma that is negatively impacting how we experience and process stress in our day-to-day lives. And that's not... That's not for everybody. Not everyone is experiencing those sensitized stress responses due to trauma. But if you are, then definitely there is work to be done that a therapist can can help with. So we've talked about this from a personal perspective, but how about from an organizational perspective? You know, staying tuned into the stress levels of your team and your employees is critical, but we have to remember that you know, each of each of us will exhibit and manage stress in our own unique way. So if you as a team manager are an extrovert and you think that the a way for the group to blow off steam after a big deliverable is to have an offsite or, you know, like a Zoom happy hour, you'll just need to be mindful that any introverts on your team are probably, you know, under increased stress due to that that activity. And it's adding a massive stressor instead of alleviating stress. Similarly, you know, for the extroverts on the team, if they've been, you know, working from home extensively for enduring periods of time, that could be leading to feelings of isolation and thus increased stress. So, many times the narratives and myths we have around the value of the grind or toughing it out or putting in the elbow grease, they they can actually do a disservice to us in recognizing and addressing stress. And yet we know that chronic stress levels lead to decreased productivity, difficulty concentrating, increased interpersonal conflict and tension, and then, you know, oversights and mistakes. So while we might mythologize and kind of hold up the grind and and putting in the long hours as um being somehow like emblematic of a good worker it can it can cloud our vision with recognizing stress and and performance on the team so 
allowing the stress to then continue to the point of burnout just results in more like days away from work cases, more medical leave, higher turnover. And none of that is good for the bottom line. None of that is good for team cohesiveness or for furthering the mission of your organization. And we also know that members of marginalized and underrepresented groups may not just experience additional higher levels of chronic and acute stress, but they also might have less leeway in addressing that stress in the workplace or showing vulnerability because they're facing biases and stereotypes that will limit the ways in which they feel they can talk about that stress or voice those concerns or be vulnerable. So, So getting to know each member of your team as an individual and establishing psychological safety and understanding how they cope with and manage stress are all critical leadership skills and and frankly, responsibilities of, of any leader. That doesn't mean that we need to entirely change the way the team works for each and every individual, but being able to to treat everyone in the way that they will operate best will will inherently be better for the team. So if you are looking for support in dealing with a stressful work environment, or if you want to learn more about establishing healthy work practices in your team, you can get in touch with us at twopeersconsulting.com and you can schedule a free consultation and we'll talk about how we can help you. Our coaches and consultants are here to help you on an individual level and on an organizational level to help you thrive. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Two Peers podcast.